she concluded that, when you came close to them, never in their lives had the beautiful women looked more lovely. In certain circles, those that had formed the inner court of Edward VII, some anxiety persisted about whether the new king was quite up to the job. This man now ruled over the four hundred million subjects of the British Empire. Short and red-faced, he seemed a distant and nervous figure, and was accompanied in his new role by an unsmiling, aloof, and, let it be acknowledged only in a whisper, less beautiful woman than his glittering mother, the dowager queen Alexandra. That day there was much hushed talk on the racecourse, and in the packed stands that had witnessed some of Edward VII's most spectacular sporting triumphs. Conversations about change predominated. Lily Langtree, one of the dead king's first mistresses, was ruined by debt. Alice Keppel, one of his most recent mistresses, had fled to China. The grieving widowed queen refused to move out of Buckingham Palace to make way for her son. For some it seemed as if a world had come to an end. People anticipate a good deal of change, George Cornwallis West, stepfather of Winston Churchill, wrote to his daughter, and some alarmed race-goers even questioned whether the unshakable confidence of upper-class Edwardian England had disappeared forever. With withering sarcasm they spoke of a sweeter, simpler reign. Although the age of Edward was over, among the privileged, with their servants, their houses, their money, and the convenient rigidity of the class system, there was an unspoken determination that a supremely enjoyable way of life should not alter, as the crown shifted from one head to another. Hopeful that the momentum generated by Edward would remain powerful enough to ensure their untroubled existence, by May of 1911, the aristocracy was looking forward to a glorious summer, dominated by the coronation of George V, and filled with an unprecedented number of parties. Mrs. Hoofer Williams, wife of the manager of Sandown Racecourse, Sandown had been Hoofer's brother's estate, the racecourse Hoofer's idea. A committed socialite and an impressively dedicated social climber was keeping notes for a book for which she had already chosen the title. It was such fun. Mrs. Hoofer, she was always referred to by her husband's Christian name rather than her own, seldom ran short of material. The London season was always strenuous, she wrote with no reason to expect that 1911s would be any different. And though she was well into her sixties, her sense of fun guaranteed her an invitation to every smart party of the season. Her engagement diary confirmed her popularity. Throughout the week, practically every night, people were at a dinner party or a ball or the theatre or opera, she wrote. I do not say we were busy in the daytime, but there was always something to do, and combined with a succession of late nights, the end of the week inevitably found me exhausted. Osbert Sitwell had a particular affection for Mrs. Hoofer, observing that, at every dance to which she went, she was surrounded by a crowd of young men waiting for her arrival, and they always addressed her as Madam. Sitwell knew how much effort she had to put into these parties. Mrs. Hoofer was extremely deaf. It is not easy, he sympathised, for someone afflicted with deafness to be amusing. It calls for unceasing alertness, which must be a great tax on energy. Sometimes, he noticed, she lost her way, 
and with only the odd word to guide her, did not always guess correctly when trying to assume an expression suitable for the moment. She would hazard a smile for the whimsical, a laugh for the witty, a striking look of interest for the dealer in the dramatic, a tear for those who wore their heart on their sleeve. One small comfort was the knowledge that the dowager queen herself, Alexandra, suffered from a similar disability. In line with Mrs. Williams' expectations, the Times Court Circular on the 1st of May 1911 overflowed with announcements for the coming months, including balls and weddings, race meetings and royal investitures. Mrs. Cornwallis West was planning a spectacular Shakespeare costume ball. Under the patronage of Lady Ripon, Diaghilev was to bring his Russian dancers to Covent Garden to make their English debut in June. Over the last few years, militant suffragettes, led by Mrs. Pankhurst, had been campaigning for the vote for women.